watching you as a child do a lot of everything I did. Mm. I I didn't know what I know now and I thought everything you did was normal because it was a reflection of me, (laughs) just like me. Like mother, like daughter. Exactly. And I thought, oh, she's just like me. That's fine. She's going to do well. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. Welcome to Princess and the Pea podcast, a show by neurodivergent women for neurodivergent women. I'm your host, Annie Crow, and I'm an autistic ADHDer who likes to talk a lot about neurodiversity. I started this podcast so that I could share meaningful conversations that explore the lives of autistic and ADHD people like myself. We talk about everything from employment to healthcare, education, parenting, relationships and more, but all in a neuro-spicy light. Before we kick off, I just wanted to add a quick content warning for little ears. This podcast will be discussing mental health issues and serious adult business. So chuck on your headphones and grab a cup of tea. And as Bluey likes to say, let's do this. Today's guest is very special to me. It's her first ever podcast appearance. Meet my wonderful mama bear, Narelle. Thank you very much. Welcome to the microphone. Thanks for agreeing to come on and get personal with me. It's an absolute pleasure. My mum also realised she was autistic and ADHD in her 50s after I was diagnosed in my late 20s, which isn't uncommon for women these days, not only being diagnosed much later in life, but also after their own children receive a diagnosis. Obviously, even though we both found out about our neurodivergent brains later in life, we've still been neurodivergent our entire lives. My queen peas have voted, and the winning theme for today was talking about our traits we now recognize as autistic and ADHD. If you want to have a say in what we talk about on the show, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at princessandthepea.pod. And if you're a neurodivergent human, join our Facebook group to connect with some awesome fellow autistic ADHD neuro spicy friends at Princess and the Pea podcast community. Talking about which of our traits are autistic and ADHD could take a few weeks, so we're going to break it down. In today's episode, we go through an online ADHD quiz and share how we relate to the questions. If you're a fan of our chat, then we might convince mum to come back on and go through some autism questions too. We hope you like this authentic and raw chat between mother and daughter. Remember that we're just two neurodivergent women and this is our lived experience. And just because we have certain traits and characteristics does not mean that all autistic ADHDers do too. Also, we are both still figuring out the lingo, and it's hard when we look at online diagnostic tests when we jump straight back into that pathologizing language that plagues the medical model of disability. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google the social model of disability and the neurodiversity paradigm. If you can forgive any less than ideal language use, we'd really appreciate it. We are still dismantling our own internalized ableism that formed over decades before we were enlightened of our own neurodivergence. It's a process. So today went a little bit longer than expected because that's what happens when you get two ADHDers chatting away. We took a lot of tangents, but I think most of them are pretty relevant. So I hope you enjoy and welcome mum.
So let's start with ADHD. And the reason I think that this is going to be good is because I think there's a lot of content specifically about autism or ADHD in women, but there's not a lot out there that talks about people like my mom and I who are both. And having both means that a lot of the traits can counteract each other or overlap or amplify. But we're going to start with ADHD and just know that there is a there is some overlap in symptoms, especially in the executive functioning area, but we'll see how we go. Here we go. So the first one we're going to go through is from attitude.com, and it's a test specifically for females with ADHD. So the first question is, do you feel like you're always at one end of a deregulated activity spectrum, either a couch potato or a tornado? And the answers are very often, often, sometimes, rarely, and never. I guess, what what do you feel like, mum? <laughs> I feel like I'm an all or nothing person and I go, 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 and then I'm exhausted yeah. and I need to be a couch potato for a little while to recover. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> you hit a, hit a breaking point and you've got to recover and then you're back to speed, right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm a bit the same. I definitely am dysregulated in my – I'm not quite – I don't think I'm quite as bad as you um, at the go, 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 but – Maybe that's because you've got like a couple decades of being a mum on me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely also am either just hectic or can't get off the couch. Yeah. The next question is, it's impossible for you to shut out sounds and distractions that don't bother others. Exactly. Absolutely impossible. And I find it um, overload of noise and I have to be able to cut out all the noise around me to focus solely on something important. And it's just all too much sometimes overstimulating. Yeah, absolutely. I'm exactly the same. And I find uh, both of us, I think, find when we go out in public and uh, with friends and such, it's really hard to listen to conversations with all the background noise. It sure is. And especially if you're listening to somebody and there's music or other conversations right near you, very hard to mm. focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, recently I had a PCR test and I'm negative, all good. Oh, good. But the lady who was taking my details had a mask on and something that I've noticed in COVID, and I'd be interested to hear if you've had this mum, is I rely heavily on lip reading because when I'm talking to people and there's a lot of background noise, it's really hard for me to hear what they're saying. Absolutely. Even though we have excellent hearing, yeah. if I can't see their lips, I really struggle. Same. Which is hard because I you know, work in the medical field, so we've often got masks on. Yeah. It's hard when you're orientating to a new job and you cannot concentrate because their mask's the barrier. Yeah, absolutely. So I had to ask her to repeat herself like five times. And I felt so bad about it because I just, I, I couldn't understand purely because the mask was in the way. And it, not only was I not able to read her lips, but it was muffling the words she said. That's same with, same with me entirely. And especially when it's so important for you to follow their instructions, when you're really concentrated, it, it's such a, a barrier and it's been tough a mm. lot of the last two years with that happening. Yeah, definitely. And also I like that point you just brought up because I find when I'm uh, more heightened in anxiety, uh, I find it even harder. It's like my brain stops being quite as switched on. So I think I'm even more nervous about not listening and then it makes it harder. <laughs> Exactly. It's like you're over-concentrating and it's all mm. a bit much. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think in saying this, there's a few things that could be happening here uh, for those who are newly listening. Is It could be a mixture of um, some auditory processing issues, because I'm pretty sure I have that, uh, but I, it hasn't been formally diagnosed for me. And also, like, there's the distractibility element, which is probably more the ADHD. Uh, and then there's also the sensory element of if there's loud noises in the background, your ears can focus in on them over the quieter ones that might be right near you that you're trying to listen to. So there's there's a few elements that could be at play, all of them, one of them, who knows? <laughs> But uh, I, I find that interesting when I looked into this stuff more to know that there is a few differences. Absolutely. So does time, money, paper or stuff dominate your life and hamper your ability to achieve your goals? All of the above. Yes, agreed. Very, <laughs> very often. <laughs> yes, very often for sure. Yeah. yeah, you and I are excellent at avoiding paperwork and life admin. Absolutely. That's my, I detest it. And yet I had to do it so much over the years in, you know, management roles. Yes. But yet you were forced yourself to do what you had to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another thing that's really interesting about this stuff is that it's not that we can't do it. It's just that we really, really don't want to and forcing ourselves to do it is either sometimes impossible depending on a lot of factors or it just drains us very rapidly of energy, right? Mm, I had to often negotiate with myself and have a reward system set up. So, mm. right, I'm going to get this done in an hour, especially with university assignments, and then I'm going to reward myself and have a good break. And I had yeah. to do negotiation and persuade myself to do the admin. Yeah. Or another trick I like to use sometimes is putting on a timer and using that to like rush through mm. the stuff that I really don't want to do, which sometimes can help give me a bit of a dopamine kick. <laughs> Doesn't always work. Same with me. That's what I've had to do. Yeah. There's a lot of different techniques out there. And I think it's about finding what does work for you and having options on hand. And I always thought I used to procrastinate for university assignments to meet deadlines, mm. but I think it was my executive function and not coping with the admin role because I love the practical stuff. I hate the written admin structured having to get an assignment in on time. Yeah, I've heard it described as like a few different ways, but there's like the wall of awful or anytime you see something that's going to require a huge mental effort, our brains can naturally just really, really want to avoid it. And on top of that, we really need the dopamine spike of that time pressure or something kicking us up the butt. So I'm the same. And all through my studies, I did all my assignments within 24 hours of them being due. And that's the same with me. I'm yeah. a really naughty last minute person, but then naughty, in that limited, <laughs> but in that limited time, the deadline at the last minute, I'd produce my most brilliant stuff. But I think it put the family through a lot of stress. Yeah. I was under the pump. Yeah. I can attest to that both as the one doing it and as the family member experiencing it uh, and and it's hard because you can't always control what's going to happen and sometimes you know if you're doing it last minute a lot of places a lot of universities and such won't give you an extension because they're like you should have asked earlier but if you're sick at the last minute you, you can't control that and then we blame ourselves don't we like oh you should have started it weeks ago <laughs> and exactly, then it wouldn't be a problem exactly but life, life sometimes gets in the way for mm. unknown reasons, but it was the only way I could really force myself to 
to Same. do that very taxing, heavy brain work. And yeah, we obviously did all these studies before we were both diagnosed. And I think it's important to mention that because we didn't really understand why we did this stuff, for me personally, and I don't know if you were the same mum, it reinforced quite a harsh inner critic of blaming myself for, you know, if I did need an extension or if I couldn't get it done on time or I'd even be going to classes or talking to friends and they'd all have finished their assignments a week before they were due. And I just felt so shameful about the fact that I couldn't even read the question (laughs) I was just not interested in touching it until within 24, 48 hours of it being due. So I think understanding our diagnosis has really helped us reframe how we see a lot of the things that we've done in life. You know, I think a lot of the traits of our our ADHD and our autism have been interpreted by the world and by us in very ableist views around you're lazy, you don't try hard enough, you're not organized, you're undisciplined, you're sensitive. All these labels are so ableist. And if you hear them enough in your life, you're going to start saying them to yourself, right? You know, I think it's by the age of something like seven, our inner voices are very much a product of our environment. And if you've had school teachers and family and friends constantly sending you these messages, Mm -hmm. then it totally makes sense why a lot of us struggle with mental health and not so nice inner critics. (laughs) And that's right. And that's right. And even from the teachers like, uh, you know, she's very bright, but doesn't put the effort in. But sometimes you you have to compartmentalize it and put the effort in maximum concentration in smaller periods of time to do well. You can't just work on, I couldn't work on any assignment or assessment piece at high school for a week and a half because I'd get to the end early and then self-doubt creeps in and I'd change my whole topic to going off track and then I wouldn't get the results I needed because I'd questioned it too much. Mm. But a late late diagnosis has given me more um, self-compassion and self-understanding and realising, well, that that's why I am like I am and I'm. I, it's given me so much more happiness and self-acceptance. Oh, you put that so beautifully. That's so accurate and I'm the same. If there was ever a time that I did do it early, I would absolutely spend the entire time of me having finished the assignment to it being due, completely questioning everything I've done and being full of anxiety and stress rather than just waiting, smashing it out, knowing that you've done a good enough job, putting it in and then being done with it. And similarly, I don't know if you were like this, mum, but I really hated reading any sort of feedback from assignments or exams. You know, you'd get your test results back and everyone would go through their paper and see what they did good and what they did bad and learn from their mistakes. I could not even open the assignment. And I was the same. I would never, ever do that in front of people. It had to be in a private spot where I had a talk to myself and was ready for whatever the feedback. Yes. But but it was often pleasantly surprised and I always, even at primary and high school, did much better than I thought. But that self-criticism and self-doubt was so um you were so aware of it there that it was crippling sometimes yeah until you got the results but I I didn't like anybody to see what comments were made because I took them so personally yes and I think that brings up rejection sensitivity dysphoria which is so common in ADHD and and for me I wasn't pleasantly surprised I was always just so critical you know I could get 99% on an exam and I would just hone in on that one question I got wrong and how stupid (laughs) I was for getting it wrong (laughs) 
And I'd argue with the teachers about what they told me was wrong and get them to spell it all out and why it was wrong. So, <laughs> so go into a debate. But also I think that also led to a bit of perfectionism for me even yeah. at primary school where I was so hard on myself. My writing had to be perfect. I had to always try and very competitive in the spelling bees, yeah. um, really hard on yourself and it must be exhausting as a child. I mean, I've blocked a lot of it out at my age, but um, again, watching you as a child do a lot of everything I did, mm. I, I didn't know what I know now and I thought everything you did was normal because it was a reflection <laughs> of me, just yeah. like me. Like mother, like daughter. Exactly. And I thought, oh, she's just like me. That's fine. She's going to do well. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And also... Um, I mean, I, li- I like that attitude as well because I think if I wasn't like you, you might have questioned all of these differences more and, and potentially I don't know whether you would have tried to change them or get me help or whatever you would have done. But one thing I, I do look back on and I guess the only thing that doesn't make me so sad about how late we were diagnosed was the fact that you kind of got me because I was like you already and you just let me be myself and I love that because mm-hmm. I think Without that, I, I truly think I would have such worse health outcomes. And I, I tried to protect you emotionally because it was such a rocky, and the teenage years, the high school years, is such an emotional roller coaster. You know, especially mm. the last years of high school. But um, just to try and get your help to protect you so that I could ease the stress a little bit. But I knew you had such gifts and unlimited potential. I wanted you to keep believing in that. So I didn't want to, in a way, and I didn't know what. I know now about seeking help and having you assessed or anything at high school I just helped you try and get through the toughest periods yeah absolutely and the other thing that um I think is also important is that you know I I didn't struggle that much like I I truly I did well in school and I was never a problem student besides the odd comments about being distracted or talking too much And so, you know, it's not like anyone raised flags to you about needing me to get assessed or help. And yet at the same time, as you know, I struggled so much emotionally and socially. And most of that was behind closed doors when I was at home and safe. And I would put on my mask when I went to school and act as if everything was fine and I knew what I was doing. Mm. And I think that's why I find the work that I, I do and that a lot of advocates do so important because I don't think it need like I just I, I truly believe the one of the big reasons why women aren't diagnosed uh, when they're younger is because unless we are so severe in our presentation, usually with comorbidities, that it's affecting other people like our teachers or the students, then people just don't think to look into any of this stuff. And yet you and I had constant little daily battles all through our childhood and it's cumulative they add up and you're just constantly like trying to keep on top of things and trying to fix everything that you're bad at whether it's being late or talking too much or interrupting the you know people when they speak and things that you slowly get a little smack on the hand for every time you do it Mm, which chips chips away your self-confidence and your own self-esteem and you, yeah. you can't help you are, but emotionally and socially, 
that's where I think the support is needed the most because girls especially can be little chameleons and they can blend in and they can mask at school and they can suppress all of this and then boom, it blows up when you get home and you wonder why the siblings are having these massive fights at home and they're having a meltdown. And and I know a lot of young mums I work with that children are actually diagnosed on the um, autism spectrum and ADHD and they see their behaviour, they're totally different at school than they are at home. Home, and at home is where the behaviour is is really hard for them to take and they often have meltdowns because they've, yeah. they've coped so long, so many hours, five hours a day at school and then they can't cope anymore and they let their guard down and they're exhausted. Yeah, and it's good that I think nowadays that's being acknowledged a bit more but I did hear that a while ago, not even that long ago, um, parents would often be dismissed and ignored because teachers and anyone outside the home would say there's nothing wrong with your child that like almost gaslighting them right like there's something wrong with you exactly because your child's I, yeah. perfect at school you know this we don't see any it problems. must be a home problem yeah yeah the truth is this is backed up by a lot of neurodivergent folk is that you feel safest at home and that's when you let your guard down and the mask come off and I think to be honest it's a good thing that you do have that at home because it means that you do feel safe. So I could say I knew you and dad loved me and you would always accept me. And I think that one of the reasons why I had such a hard time when I was at home was because that was the only time I could let out all my frustrations. And I knew that, you know, even if even if maybe you didn't quite know how to handle it back then, like we do more now, I still knew that you'd be there for me and you'd love me and not abandon me. It's hard as a parent because you want to give unconditional love and let your child to totally lay it all out at home and be themselves, but it can be exhausting as a parent too because I used to say to Annie, oh, you take it out on the ones you love the most, so you must really, really love me a lot today. (laughs) Today you love me. (laughs) She still says that to me. And it would stop you in your tracks and you think, oh, I'm really, you know, giving mum a hard time. I better, yeah. you know, you know, tell her how much I appreciate her and everything. But yeah. it, it was, exo- as a parent too, it can be very, yeah. very exhausting. Yeah, and it's not like I ever intentionally was the way I was. It's not like I was trying to be a pain in your butt <laughs> or trying to be a difficult emotional child. This was just how my difficulties express themselves and that was your coping coping mechanisms whereas me as a child because I had um, a younger sister that used to do the meltdown after school and that so she Mm. sort of took precedence Um, but but I would just um, take my dog out my dog for a walk in the fresh air or just go and play with the bush or over at the park or the sand pit and just use the outdoors to self-regulate and calm down and that was my outlet because I didn't get that emotional support that's a good point. Nature and movement can be really good emotional regulators if you can work up the energy to do them. <laughs> yeah, and I had to though, even if it was sitting out in the front yard cuddling my big collie dog, you know, which looked like Lassie. So, so cute. Yay, dogs. We love our dogs. Don't we? Yeah, my dog helped me cope with a lot of emotionals. I think it was almost, <laughs> he was a little assistance dog and he didn't know it, but he was brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So the next question is, do you start the day determined to get organised and end the day feeling defeated? Um, 90% of the time. Yeah, which is interesting you say that because you're a very efficient woman. Like you get so much done and yet you still feel that way, you know? 
Yeah, I do, but I think I try and pack too much in my days. Yeah. And I don't don't self-regulate enough to take the right breaks and, and I have unrealistic expectations yeah, of myself say, to get more achieved. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I, I think you, similar to me, and, and I guess that's that perfectionism coming in, is that we expect to get this amount of stuff done and then we when we only get a third of it done or half of it done or even two-thirds of it done, we're disappointed in ourselves and yet that's actually still a win, right? <laughs> it, it is because even if on our list we got 50% done, that's much more than a lot of people get yeah. done. But we, we don't look at it that way. We think, oh, n- too much to do, not enough hours, and I just feel like always that's the case. Yeah. Where we should, I need to practice gratitude a little bit more and say, well, look, and some positive self-talk. You know, I have got all of these yeah. achieved today. Be kind to yourself. I think you do. I And I. it's funny, like, I mean, obviously – we were diagnosed a few years ago now, but, and we've both had some therapy and therapy can be really helpful in identifying these things and working out ways to deal with them. But as much as I I am a huge proponent of therapy and it's helped so much, it's still my automatic reaction to be critical and to be disappointed in myself. And a lot of the times, like, it, it really depends on, you know, my state of mind and my environment and my energy levels and all these factors on if I'm going to buy into that rhetoric that's not really that accurate or if I'm going to notice it and use my self-compassion and my kind inner voice to say, well, hang on, you've actually got this, this and this done and that's really good. It's set you so much closer to whatever your goal is. And and that's how that's how I've found therapy has really helped me. I'm a lot mm. kinder to myself. I say, hey, you can't run around helping others unless your own glass is full. No, you can't yeah. be running on empty. And it's made me say, oh, you're doing a really good job. Be kind. Or, you know, why are you yeah. so stressed out? What's the worst thing that can happen? Don't be, you know, just, just settle down. And it's helped my anxiety so much. Oh, I love that. I love that. And me too. And it's almost like it's undoing the decades worth of negative self-talk that we have it has it has I've, I've I've come a long way and I've gained so much and especially mm. a psychologist that you really um you know, get on really well and they bring the best out of you and you can talk through how you're feeling it's made me a much calmer person and more mm. I've gained and developed self-compassion and and mm. yeah and just real, realism I think it's, yeah. it's it's good for our age. I'm, I'm much happier and I um, accept things now and know to pick my battles and just let things go um, so because, good. yeah, and I've come a long way. So it's the best thing I've done for myself. Yeah. Do you, um, do you remember before I was diagnosed and then you after me, I spent quite a few years in therapy and uh, the first couple of years I did uh, CBT therapy cognitive mm-hmm. behavior therapy and do you remember how I was very frustrated when I was doing that therapy and it wasn't getting me very far yeah I do remember that period and I I thought oh is this the right thing that you're doing I just yeah as a mum, I thought I hope this is of more benefit than harm yeah absolutely and I feel like we you and I we both felt very lost because we didn't feel like we had any other options we knew I needed therapy Mm-hmm. And we didn't know that there were other options out there. So mm-hmm. I just kept persevering. 
and 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 also and and also um, finding the right person for you that you needed. Yes. Plus plus looking at the different methods now, there's much more available, and and yeah. everybody's got the unique individual history. Like if you've got PTSD, what you need from that. Yes, trauma informed therapy. Yeah, exactly. And it's come so far even in the last couple of years of what treatment methods they use and what's best for your needs and your personality. Yeah, definitely. So true. And I mean, there's a lot of criticism uh, within, I think, mostly the autistic community about CBT not being very effective for our neurodivergent brains. And I am in agreement of that, just experiencing myself that what CBT did for me was it made me so much more aware of my inner thoughts and my my that inner critic voice without ever allowing me to fix it and I and CBT is based on the premise of you hear you hear your thoughts and you then choose to change them and it was never a choice for me I never felt like I had the power to change them it just made me more frustrated with why I was even experiencing those thoughts and feelings it created an awareness, but it didn't give you the tools on to move further on than that and do something about it. Exactly. Them. And it, it so didn't focus enough limiting. on what I truly needed that, you know, this might not be for everyone, but for me and you, definitely we, we needed a more f- compassion, self-acceptance focused therapy, didn't we? We did, yeah. we did, and 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 I've and I've also tried um, EMDR, yeah, and it's good. But in even working your way through traumas that have happened in your life, I still don't think it's even when I go back to thinking or talking about that particular one, I still get very emotional. Yeah. So it was a long, long road and I don't know whether that was the right thing for me, Absolutely. but I'm still learning and working on it and I know I've got a long way to go, but it, everything has helped because it's created self-knowledge and self-awareness of who I am and what I need to, you know, to um, get better and heal and be, you know, happier and less anxious person. And just, you know, accept yourself and live a happy life, right? Yeah, and let things go and, yeah, and know, well, you know, your reaction for that trauma was very normal and it still really affects you and it's okay to feel that traumatised, you know, it's okay. That's so true, Mum. I love that you said that because another thing that I found is the, the couple of traumas I had, I felt like at the time that I had such an overreaction to them for what they were. And I think that that can be quite common for neurodivergent, well, especially undiagnosed neurodivergent folk because things that, you know, we hold ourselves against the standard of what's defined as trauma and PTSD for neurotypicals. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was in a car accident that, you know, my car wasn't written, written off. I didn't have any immediate injuries that were very obvious. And yet it's one of the worst traumas I've ever experienced. And it took me years to even realize that I was traumatized by it. And I don't think you realised at the time it was a high-speed crash and you actually could have uh, yeah, well, you could have died. It was such true, when you got a true. vehicle doing 80 and one hitting you doing 100, that's a combined yeah. velocity of 180 kilometres an hour. Yes, that is very true. That yeah. is very so true. that's okay and for you to have that response, but your injuries kept coming out true. and you didn't realise that they were going to affect you for the rest of your life and become chronic chronic problems. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, you know, I think I think it kind of aligns with that whole being critical of ourselves and and not sort of ever feeling like we're having the right reaction. Because I, I remember I'd only just started therapy when my car accident happened. And I remember walking into my therapist office the next day and laughing at the story while I told her as if it was like so silly. It's like you were detached from it entirely and yeah. just telling a surreal story that didn't affect didn't happen to you. Yeah, yeah, and she laughed back and we moved on and and that almost reinforced the fact that I shouldn't be upset about it. Yeah, but you were so young, yeah. you know, it's just I know. But for me, I did an EMDR too and I didn't mind it, but I did have a few problems with it. I, I got very distracted easily with the, the hands back, you know, the watching the finger go back and forward in front of your eye. Me too. That's yeah. I can't take that. I just can't Neither. take that at all. It's so distracting and stressful. Yeah, and it's a bit of a sensory overload visually. Yeah, it was, it was, and I was I just couldn't take it. Yeah. And then on top of that, they ask you questions while you're doing it. And it, it's just a lot. Like I, I think it wasn't necessarily a bad therapy, but I don't think it quite suited our needs, did it, Mum? <laughs> In saying that, for me, the best way that I've dealt with that trauma and other traumas has been with neurodiversity affirming yeah. therapy. And that's with a therapist that mostly practices more of that act-based compassion and acceptance therapy and then equally we'll just walk you know for me I think the biggest healing part of that for me was walking through the event and being validated in how I experienced it because so much of our lives we're not validated by our feelings or our interpretation of the world we're told that it's wrong and that's why we mask and camouflage because if you get that message constantly then all you do is look around and say well what are others doing and what's the normal way to respond and you start denying your own experiences and you you sort of shut off to listening to yourself yeah but if you find the right therapist that that is good with working with people that are diagnosed that has been so much more validating for me going through things and she taught me how to do self-compassion and self-acceptance so much better than any other psychologist right because she fundamentally understands your brain exactly yeah which is so important and i i don't think you can remove our autistic and ADHD identity from any treatment, whether it's psychological or physical. Uh, You know, that's why I rant about neurodiversity affirming healthcare, because I've experienced healthcare in all settings and the best healthcare I've ever received and the best outcomes I've ever had have been neurodiversity affirming. Mm. And yet it's so hard to find that And if you don't find it, it's very hard to know how to advocate for yourself and receive that from people because you're constantly having to explain your needs and how you are the way you are to professionals that have no idea how to adapt their healthcare to suit that. I almost think that I would prefer a neurodivergent person or allied Mm. health or health professional looking after me that has the same diagnosis because they intrinsically understand my needs and they explain and they communicate Mm -hmm. and they have more compassion and they know, you know, 
what 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 sort of things we become anxious about it wouldn't be yeah. good if you could sort of have a specialty area that looked after you know that's what our needs are our specific needs yeah no i i think it's the other way around i think we just need more autistic adhd humans in all different health professions because it's not necessarily that they need to specialize my absolute favorite therapists have been autistic my yeah. my favorite psychologist and my favorite dietitian were neurodivergent and I've just never had more effective and supportive and positive treatment. That's the same with me. That's with all yeah. allied health and that that I've been through. They yeah. they get me. They understand. They can read your facial expressions and your needs and I don't know, they just have a different way, probably more compassion and and they can feel your fear and anxiety and they know how to address it. I feel like they just inherently understand your brain, right? And it's almost like, you know, and we are all different, but, you know, it's that double empathy problem of it's so much easier to communicate from one neurodivergent to another than it is to communicate from one neurodivergent to a neurotypical person because we just have different ways to communicate. And so I just find that it makes the therapy process whatever therapy that is, it just makes the healthcare process so much more simple, so much more like, like stress, stress free and more streamlined and comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Next question is, do you watch others of equal intelligence and education pass you by? For me, I would say yes to that. And not in like an extreme way, but for instance, at high school, I got this award every year called the Prodiligentia Award, which is also known as the Try Hard Award <laughs> because it means you're a diligent student, which I thought was the biggest joke because I was not a diligent student and I did not try very hard because I couldn't. I wanted to. And so I was like, is this reverse psychology or something? And what it meant was that every single year I got to go to awards night, which was predominantly for the high achieving students that were getting cum laude's and all the straight A's. And I was just beneath them. And so it would just be a constant reinforcement that I know I was capable of getting those awards and those grades, but I also couldn't do the work to do it. So it wasn't that my intelligence was lacking. It was just that I couldn't focus and apply myself like I wanted to to be able to meet that rigid schooling system requirements. And I agree because that's exactly what happened to me. I knew I had the ability and I wanted to be a vet and work with animals and I you probably did. I knew I could get the results but I was so frustrated because I didn't have the support and wasn't able to concentrate and put the effort in to get the marks that I needed to what I wanted to do. And I just think how can they how can others get there when I know I've got the ability but what's the block? What's yeah. wrong with me? And the self-doubt, the self-criticism, the nasty yep. self-critical ste steps in then, inner voice. Yeah, Nice and critical of us constantly. You knew you had the ability to get results the same as them, but mm -hmm. you didn't understand why you weren't able to. But now that we know and we look back in retrospect, mm. we understand what makes us tick. That was never going to happen without the support we needed in the right environment. I agree. I remember um, when I first started university, I went from doing all maths and sciences at school to flipping over into all law and sort of arts subjects and business. And that was just such a different approach to education and assessment, which was fine. I, I got used to that. But 
I remember in second semester I did a business stats course and I was so excited about it because I thought I'm going to breeze through this. I did the top two maths at school without effort. Like I love maths. I'm really good at numbers. And so I thought this is just going to be a write-off and I can focus my efforts in other classes because I'll just do so well. And I failed that unit. It's the only unit I've ever failed out of, you know, five-year double degree. (laughs) And the reason I failed was because I didn't apply myself and the unit was broken down so that you had to do like mini tests every single week. And because I wasn't keeping on top of the curriculum, I was not doing well. And anyone who's done business stats will know it's not just that you have to be good at numbers, but you have to understand the formulas and how the questions are. Like it wasn't really the same as a lot of the maths I'd done. If anything, I'd say it was simpler, but it was more, you had to really memorize the way that the statistics were. And I felt so sad for you to see you fail and the devastation. And I thought, oh, I hope she doesn't drop out because of that. You know, you just, I couldn't believe it because you normally love to, you know, you're a good student, but that was devastating. The same with me. I hospital trained, um, did my nursing in a hospital, and then I went back to university to upgrade to a degree. And silly me, nobody told me do an easy subject to start like a second year subject. So I started with a hard third year subject all about research, you know, the terminology. And I, I really was about to fail. I had to really backpedal because I thought, I thought I would enjoy and find university, you know, challenging, but I'd pass and I nearly failed my first subject and I was terrified because it was like learning a foreign language research. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it feels like you've ruined everything. I thought there goes my GPA and future job prospects. Me too. That's the only time I've just scraped in a pass Yeah, in 12 years of university. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I had to actually repeat business stats and I ended up topping it. Um, because <laughs> I was so angry that I'd failed, but I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> and it was, it wasn't hard. I just really had to put the effort in. Like it wasn't intellectually challenging. It was just a lot of chores. A lot of workload. Uh, it was yeah, co- constant, exactly. constant concentration and workload. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, whereas I I preferred the subjects that had one mid-semester giant assignment or essay and then one big exam at the end because then you just had to make two big rounds of effort (laughs) (laughs) rather than constantly keeping up with readings and tutorials and questions every bloody week. That's what drove me crazy. But we have to keep plodding along to get the end result, don't we, to actually try and graduate. Yes. So next part, are you called a slob or spacey? Oh, sometimes I'm called spacey. Are you? You know, like where is your head? Mm. What are you concentrating? Are you listening to my question? Yeah. And and it's, again, that all or nothing. So sometimes my desk is a pigsty, and, but I know where everything is and I think I'm such a slob, but others think, oh, you're a really organised person. And then I have to have the massive clean out mm. and feel lovely because it's all in order. And then a week later, it's a big mess again. And, you know, so Same. I swing between cleanups and Same. sometimes it's a life of chaos and then, but I'm more at peace if it is organised, but it's going to be a me lifetime too. effort and journey for me to get there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, we're very similar in that, but I really struggle to put things away if I don't have a place for them or if I, like, I just, I find, and I wonder, have you always been like this or is this something you've just sort of adapted over the years? Is you, when you clean up, you're really good at just putting everything away. It doesn't have to be perfect. Put it all away. Make it neat. I think I'm, I'm much worse as you progress through life where you accumulate more stuff. True. It becomes a bit overwhelming. I was much better when we had very little, like newlyweds uh, and yeah. a young parent with kids and you didn't have a lot of stuff. And we moved quite frequently as a military family. And so I couldn't hoard things. I couldn't, you know, keep the kids' clothes. A lot yeah. was given away. And I think it was easier for me. But now, and yeah. I have a lot of hobbies and creative um, pursuits, and it's hard to you do. really creative. keep it all in order. Do you, do you know what I mean? So it's accumulation of stuff. So it's my own fault. And oh, it's not your fault. Okay, not my fault. It's my There's own inner critic coming out. It's my own <laughs> journey of what's the best yeah. form of storage and organizing. But I've learned a lot from you, Annie, because Annie's had an organiser. Her house is yeah. fantastic. Everything's labelled. And when I go there, I feel so empowered and I know where to find everything. And I just love it. Yeah, I clean up for my visits. Thought, oh, maybe I need to do that too. But uh, I think everyone should have oh, an organizer. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's so good. Although I still live in chaos, but it's less chaotic than it was before her. Exactly. And in an emergency, you can go and grab your, get your hands on things when you need them. Or if, um, you know, yeah. so like me comes in and cook for her and find something in the kitchen, I can easily find stuff and help her clean up because it's all got its own place. Yeah. And it was a, a big thing for me was never working out where things should go. So, you know, some of the advice that people give you on keeping an organized house and such is like, oh, you know, think of where would you look for it first? And every time I asked that question to myself, my thoughts would change. So it was never reliable yeah, yeah. <laughs> to know where I kept it until I got someone in to make very proper homes for everything that I had which was a huge task and decluttering and all of that. So many elements there. And and I wanted to put it out there for young mums as well. Like when you've got kids, it is a bit chaos because there's toys scattered everywhere and all these tools and, and that. But remember, it, at the end of the day or when they go to sleep, you can push it all into one area or one box. And, you yeah. know, not to worry about that. It's part of the life cycle. And then, you know, when mm. your kids leave home, your house is a bit more organised because you haven't got their clutter everywhere as well. And Until your grandson comes to visit. Yeah, except then and your world's turned upside down. Or when your daughter moves out and she still leaves a room full of stuff Oops. at your place and it takes a while to persuade her to take all the stuff. <laughs> And the other thing is with the the mess, a lot of advice I see is, oh, you know, the mess is fine. Just deal with it. Like you don't have to have a perfectly put together place. And the reason that that doesn't make me feel at peace is that I, I mean, obviously I can live with the mess. I have to because I am a messy person and things are just constantly getting put out of whack even when I try to be organized. But from a sensory perspective, it's very stressful to have toys everywhere or lots of piles of clean clothes that I haven't put away. It's that constant visual of your to-do list and that visual overwhelm of just too much clutter and too much stuff in your space that you don't feel calm. 
and rest. But it's but it's hard to to gather the energy as a young mum when you're it's often so quite exhausted to find find time to put those away. Like yeah. I went through that too. I was so fatigued, and you know, just to try and be able to put things away. And all the mums I've known have wash baskets full. That one hopefully separated from the clean clothes from the dirty, and they're not all mixed up. Yeah. So you know that that's quite. But can I go back to um, revert back when you're saying you're spacey? There's yeah. days I have brain fog days that I feel really spacey and yep. I think they're talking to me and I want to answer them but I'm multitasking trying to fit so much in I can't mm-hmm. even concentrate or I'll walk into a room to get something and then I'll be standing there and what was I in here for I know it's important <laughs> and I, I have to go time. back to where I started from and hopefully it comes back to me yeah. and, it, and it's a victim because our lives are too busy and yeah. we're multitasking and as a parent it's even worse oh it's so much worse as a parent a lot of that is also, you know, working memory and processing and everything is uh, you and I are pretty good at backtracking uh, in conversations and in housework because uh, <laughs> my partner's ADHD and attentive and he's terrible. He's spacey but without our anxiety and I think our anxiety can sometimes be helpful because we get stressed about forgetting and so we'll work really hard cognitively so we're really good at backpedaling and seeing where we are you know we'll go back to the kitchen I was putting some forks away and then I noticed that the scissors weren't there so I went to the laundry to get the scissors but by the time you get to the laundry you forgot you were getting the scissors (laughs) (laughs) that happens to me a lot and and I find when I have got too much going on with my life that's when it's at its worst and and I just think take some deep breaths slow down and just do one thing at a time because obviously I'm taking Mm. on too much and I have to do that self-talk Yeah, but also I think that's just the way our minds are. We just constantly have so much going on in our head at once that it can be really hard to have enough room to concentrate and be present. Mm, but it can be it can be exhausting. Sometimes I wish I could just totally focus on one thing. Oh yeah. And not worry about the rest of the worries. But Oh, but you do, don't you? Like when you do your sewing and yeah, stuff. Yeah, well that's just a form of meditation for me because I might listen to an audiobook yeah. while I'm sewing and I just zone out. And I'm not doing, not worrying about all the other things in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Same. I love I that. I do too. Uh, okay. Next question. Cause we are totally going way too slow. Okay. What's the next question? Uh, have you ever been thought of as selfish because you don't write thank you notes or send birthday cards? Yeah, I just, I don't know whether they think I'm selfish. Well, I'm very lucky because my husband and his father is very good at admin. He often, whenever um, it comes up on Facebook or anything that it's a mutual friend's birthday, he always sends them the birthday wishes on my behalf. And I'm just so grateful for that because I can't remember. And I think after I've had dinner with them or they've had us over for dinner, they, I tell them at the time how thankful I am thinking there's no way I'll remember to send them a thank you card or anything. So they just have to accept me the way I am. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I remember growing up before social media, dad used to send out 
the annual Christmas newsletter where he'd put photos of us of the year and write information about what we were up to and sending love to all of our friends and family. There's no way I'd ever be able to do that. You know what? He used to chase me around for two weeks, getting me to put my one paragraph about my life spiel (laughs) on the computer and remind me every day. And it took me about two weeks to sit down and write a paragraph or to (laughs) proofread that newsletter of his because executive function, I just couldn't cope. Right. Mum, how many years behind are you at the photo Only albums? Only eight years now. <laughs> but, hey, I did 30 years of brilliant I photo know, albums. I'm, I'm you. more organised, but I, I can't because I've done 30 years of having everything organised in beautiful albums, I yeah. never want to do it again. So what do I do with the last eight years' worth? And lucky, every, everything's electronic anyway. Exactly. No need. Yeah, I've done that chapter in my life. It's over. So I I might throw some of the memorabilia out. I did my thank you cards for for my wedding and I think I wrote maybe half of them and sent them out relatively quickly and then the rest of them I sort of sent out over the next six to 12 months and I'm pretty sure there's a few that never got sent out so sorry to all my loved ones that didn't get a thank you note and then for my son's birth I I did like announcement cards which was so fun to make and I literally didn't give my brother his until my son was over one year old (laughs) and he lives near me and visits (laughs) frequently and every single time I would forget to give him this bloody card I know I'm exactly the same but hey you know if friends accept you with who you are and they don't have that expectation I think your true friends just love you the way you are yeah yeah. and anybody else don't worry about them a hundred percent totally agree Okay, so do you shut down in the middle of the day feeling assaulted? It's an interesting question. Yeah, assaulted. I think could have been worded a bit different. Yeah, I know. But feel, what about feeling feeling exhausted? Yeah, yeah, that's better. It's like I, I say I've been doing too much and I get to the mid-afternoon and I feel like I've hit the wall mm. and, like, just before this I was doing that before and I had to go and have a half an hour sleep because yeah. I was wrecked. Yeah, same, and especially if you yeah. you have a really hectic morning and you're just go, go, go. And yeah, take and I, I rest, and it just all hits you. Yeah, and if you've been up since five thirty six a.m. and you've packed too much in, I took what I yeah, call yeah. a power nap, my first one in <laughs> months. But I woke up feeling refreshed, so I was. That's good. Yeah, self care is so important. Yeah. Okay. Are you clueless as to how others manage to lead consistent, regular lives? Oh yes, I think I, I yeah. missed all that genetic material, but I am who and- I am. <laughs> yeah, but we we're exciting. We live roller coasters, don't we? Oh like? yeah, and very exciting, yeah. spontaneous lives of adventure. Exactly. Yeah, lives yep. of adventure. I don't know if I call myself spontaneous, but sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> never a dull moment. And rather than yeah. like, I think the worst possible job was doing the same thing every day, something same. boring like working with yourself and not communicating. You know, like the role mm-hmm. I could never be an accountant or something. You know, and just mm. but at the same time, like. I feel almost torn because a lot of people would see that as more like maybe something that would fit the autistic stereotype. Because, it, because it's, const- it's um, consistent and, oh, what's the word? Repetitive. repetitive. And some people really need yeah. that where I need variety in all the jobs I've done. 
Yeah, which is why, you know, it's important to note you and I are very much both autistic and ADHD, but that trait for you especially outweighs the autistic side, right? Mm. And I just thought of it then to tell your listeners too, please forgive me if I sort of pick on something that you, like if you're an accountant or anything, because I don't mean any harm, but being neurodivergent, I actually put my foot in my mouth quite a lot and and (laughs) say things, but don't mean any harm by them. And I've always been like that. and, And so please don't take me the wrong way. Yeah, and that's such a good point, Mum, because, and you shouldn't have to say it, but I think, you know, it's something that I definitely feel as well is that I will, and this is what I almost didn't start this podcast because I was so nervous that people would take what I said the wrong way. And I always have really good intentions. Me too. Yeah, I always come from a really good place. Non judgmental, accepting, very, yeah. very well intentioned, don't you? And but sometimes what comes out of your mouth, you don't yeah. mean people to take you to the wrong way and you, you mean no. no harm by that. And I think Absolutely. that's just who we are. We just sort of let it all out there. Yeah. And that's- Yeah, and my my autistic cousin um is an accountant and she is brilliant at it and she does not have ADHD. Exactly. <laughs> so like and she loves that she loves that balance in her life, but I just need variety, I suppose, and to stay on always that steep learning curve where I'm getting lots of stimulation and learning new stuff. Yeah, and I think it's why ADHDers do well in roles like emergency and paramedics and such. You never know what's going to come through the door and you've always got to be ready. So many, such a high of dopamine hits, right? Yeah, and you're learning from every outcome, like, you know, all Mm. that experience. And I do love working in Never a dull moment, you do. (laughs) I've worked in about 20 emergency departments around Australia. (laughs) Yes, yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. She does. Yeah. No, agreed. And you know, at the same time, I was going to say, I, I'm probably a little bit less into the spontaneity than you are. Um, and I, I really like, I don't like repetitive, dull stuff, but I do like routine and consistency and sameness. Mm. And yet I really struggle to achieve that, which is kind of, I guess, the more executive function side of things. Exactly. So I'm, I'm always living in a state of wanting one side or the other and not being able to be consistent about either and working out what is the right thing for you isn't it it's still it's a lifelong journey working out what your what's best for your personality and needs yeah absolutely do you feel as if life is out of control and that it's impossible to meet demands a lot of the time yes but is that is that my anxiety is that your anxiety no. or is that just what i don't think is so. that just the responsibility that we have in our lives or are we a victim of our own choices of what we do with our time no i i again i think <laughs> I feel like you're and this just kind of shows like the ableism that still trolls internally away at us right is that I don't actually think that it's any of those things I think that I mean I definitely relate to being demand avoidant if anyone's heard of pathological demand avoidance PDA which is a terrible term but um, because we don't like you know tasks that require like less exciting mental loads, such as paperwork, life admin, that sort of thing. I think we can easily get sucked into living a life that's quite engaging and energetic and doing stuff that really, really fills our bucket and makes us really passionate. And then sort of to the expense of leaving some of those demands aside. So you're sort of always chasing your tail at wanting to do the bare minimum of the demands that you need to do to function while also not really actually doing them. Yeah, I know what you mean. 
yeah. So I don't I don't necessarily think it's anxiety or anything. I just think that's how our brain works. And I'm getting to an age now and also having the joys of the neurodivergent community helping me to understand myself and accept myself along with my loved ones and therapists and everything is that now I'm just like, well, that's how I am. So I'm not too upset about it, except for when it gets to the point where I really am behind and maybe, you know, have overdue bills and mm. struggling with all that stuff. But if if I'm at a point where I'm still struggling and it's I'm still fine, then it's not a big deal. When it becomes overwhelming, that that bit gets it gets dangerous, I think. And that's when you've got to pull back and say, well, what are my priorities? What can I let go? And what really has to be done by that time time and space a deadline yeah and that's usually a trigger for us hey mum where we're like okay we really need to shift our attention it's almost like okay we've avoided it as long as we can someone help and that's why it's <laughs> lovely to lean on your loved one and run it past them to get their perspective because that they make it all yeah. seem you can do this you can do this yeah yeah especially when you're married to dad who is as in your husband who is very good at all of that stuff whereas my husband is just as demand avoidant as me so our life is a little bit more chaos yeah but sometimes you you appear you appear more chilled out you know you've got the ability to to sit and relax and slow down a bit and sit on the couch Mm. and self-nurture and that and I envy that sometimes because I run run around in circles I wish I could do that more that's true I've I've had to learn that with my you know, car accident and chronic pain and mm. health conditions. And over the last few weeks, the most relaxed I've been is when I had COVID and had to stay home for a week. <laughs> and I sat on the couch. And I, and I, but I sat on the couch and I read five books and it was the most relaxing <laughs> week of my life this year. Lucky I wasn't very sick with it. But I think, yeah, why true. can't I just stay home more and, and just chill out? Because FOMO, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> but mum's just got endless ideas of stuff to do oh uh, yeah but I'm I'm a creative yeah. person and and you I have are. to have to and live live till I'm two or three hundred to finish all my projects yeah well I I totally back that goal so <laughs> do. I hope they they bring something in for eternal life because I'll need a dose of that <laughs> Next question. Okay. We've been over an hour and we're barely halfway through the ADHD quiz. All right. We'll pick out a couple of fun ones. Oh, Just okay. finish on, pick out the ones that you, okay. you think we've got some good material. You're going to have to come on the podcast again, Mum, so we can do the uh, autism test. Oh, good. I look for that one. Yep. I'll be on again yeah. anytime. As long, barely... as, as long as your <laughs> listeners are happy to have me come on again as a guest, I would love to. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> I would because we've, you know, as as neurodivergent minds do, we've gotten distracted. Um, so we're fast forwarding a couple questions because we're barely halfway through. <laughs> uh, do you hesitate to have people over to your house because you're ashamed of the mess? Um, not really, because luckily I've got your father, and we run around and do the massive clean up before people come. But yeah. I, there has been periods in my life when he's been away, and it's just too overwhelming to have people over. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think dad's the key there and you, but you both, because you know, you can pick up the chaos and fix the mess. You're less, I I feel like you don't have that ashamed of the mess aspect because you know that with a bit of elbow grease, the two Mm. of you can transform your house. But if I had physical disabilities like you, you sometimes can't spend two hours running around and making it spotless because you don't have that ability. 
Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. Whereas, whereas I can pull the energy together to do that. Plus, yeah. I've got a husband who's highly organized and likes things neat, so he will jump in and and do half the load. Yeah, exactly. So I I have friends over, but not often. And the only people I'll ever allow in my house have to be people that I truly love. So my closest friends and family that I'm not embarrassed to have a mess in front of because nine times out of 10, my house will have some element of chaos and mess. And luckily, I have beautiful friends and family that don't mind. But if I didn't have that, then I would probably never allow anyone in my house because it is a mess. And, you know, my ADHD and attentive husband is not a fan of cleaning or tidying more so than me. And unfortunately for him, I'm so pedantic about where things go and and I'm not a big fan of him touching my stuff that even when he tries to help, a lot of the times it just stresses me out. <laughs> it's yeah, And it's hard, isn't it, for you when a cleaner does come to clean because you yeah. have to sort of move your stuff out of the way for them to be able to clean. So that's stress stressful as well. Yeah, I've always got to do like a solid hour of tidying before the cleaner comes to get stuff off the floor and clear the surfaces so she can wipe it down. And I mean, I'm so grateful to have a cleaner and the NDIS is so helpful in supporting my executive function needs and, and even my energy deficits. Um, but I, I but I think also as having a baby and the toys, everyone chaos, that it's quite normal because they've got to find. Oh, I agree. Be, I think everyone experiences Yeah, because if you don't put your stuff out of the way, they don't find a piece of place that they can mop on the floor because you've got toys in that so I think that's quite you know you'll go through different phases in your life and that'll be become easier yeah absolutely okay this one's an interesting one um, because there is a lot of overlap in emotional regulation um, for ADHDers and autistic peeps do requests for one more thing at the end of the day put you over the top emotionally I mean this is a weird question but my interpretation of it is that if you have such a chaotic day and you know you've spent all your spoons love spoon theory and then someone comes up to you like for me mom it would be maybe my husband says can you I don't know clean the dishes or can you go get food or something like that and it's just enough to tip me over the edge and I'm just done. I, I sort of, I'm like, no, I can't do anything else. I'm I'm so spent. I don't think this happens to you that much because. No, it does because I get very cranky. Yeah. And then your father, the father will say, well, don't take it out of me or don't snap at me. I didn't realise. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, sort of how the heckles come out. Like it was the, it's that, that's yes. the last straw. You know, you push me over the edge and yeah. yeah. And it's funny you say that because I'm similar and you almost don't know that you've hit that point until you're acting like that and you're getting that response and you're like, oh, something's going on. Uh, and what I'm saying by this is I don't find it very easy to know when I've hit my emotional limit. No, me neither. And oh, wouldn't it be lovely if you could just walk in and go to your room and have a quiet five minutes, get your head together before you have to face another person in case you yeah. are pushed to that, that breaking point. We don't realise it, do we? No, we don't. And I remember one day dad picked me up towards the end of primary school uh, and he said, how was your day? What did you learn? And I just started to cry because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't answer that. I'm so, so, so exhausted from getting through the day. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, whoa, sorry. Hey, hey what about when you broke your foot in a running race? And, yeah. and, you know, your father comes and picks you up because I was at work. He takes you back to his office and because, you know, he thinks, oh, well, now and then you overexpress yourself, you'll be fine. It's just, you know, you've just got a bit of a sore foot and I yeah. come to pick you up after that and I take one look and say, uh, that's broken. 
and and why didn't you take it to hospital to get it checked or ring me earlier because he said well you know I just thought her reaction is normal yeah so true Yeah, and then you needed plaster for six weeks. I did, and that's uh, also another good point you raised because uh, I have got a hypersensitivity to pain and it's caused me so many issues in life, especially with the health system Uh, and even with my own father who loves me but thinks I'm a drama queen. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but but the other thing is, you know, know that the (laughs) pain you would have had in your broken foot would be the same reaction if you'd cut your finger open because of your sensitivity to pain. So he thought, oh, there's nothing to worry about, didn't even put an ice pack on it. I know. And just sat you in their office and probably gave you a colouring in book. Yeah, I was not a very happy camper that no, day. But I realised only because I know what to look for. But yeah. you, you were so. You also were always much more accepting of my pain. Like yeah. you were one of the only people I've ever come across who never invalidated my pain. If anything, exactly. you were the opposite. You were like, oh my gosh, I'm worried about any little thing. Mm. Which is really good, I think, because, you know, there's a lot of instances like remember when I had appendicitis and they couldn't see the appendix on the ultrasound and they didn't believe that I actually had appendicitis because my symptoms didn't meet their criteria perfectly. And they were sending us home and then something happened, I can't remember, and we ended up staying. Even though yeah, because they- I said she she mightn't show it, like she's in yeah. so much pain, I know there's something wrong there. Just keep looking. Yeah. Yeah, and they were so dismissive of it and eventually they kind of, I think, just got sick of us and thought, well, we'll just go in anyway. And, and have a look through the keyhole. Maybe gallstones or something. Yeah, and anyway, it was about to burst. Yeah. <laughs> My appendix was about to rupture and luckily they did. But, you know, not many people have mothers who know medical stuff. Like it was really helpful that you you understood my hypersensitivity but also you understood the medical system and could advocate for me because I think we would have been in a lot of trouble if you could Exactly, but then, you know, your cousin that's also neurodivergent. She's so stoic. She suppresses a lot of her pain and she nearly bled to death because the hospital didn't believe she had that much pain and sent her home with internal bleeding, internal bleeding. Yeah, she did. So... There's issues with both not understanding hypo or hypersensitivity to pain, uh, which is very very common in autism. Yeah, I think she's hyposensitive and you were hypersensitive to pain. Yeah, exactly. Like I can see two completely different. Summarised it for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so there's definitely issues with both. So where were we? So this question's good. Do you feel like you are passing for normal, but you are really an imposter? Oh, my God, that's the story of my life. (laughs) From my little girl, that is the way I've, you know, people think I'm just run around and I'm part of the normal every day, but I feel like I was an alien a lot of the time. Like, yeah. do you really fit any any specific friendship groups, or you to flutter around and be friends with everybody, but but feel it's all and I'm putting it on artificially? I've never truly fit in Same. with the normal crowd. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's imposter syndrome 101, and I can completely relate as well. And also being a bit of a chameleon as well. You know, you, you act different around different friends. Yeah, you can adapt to, you know, even your body language and the way you mirror their reactions. I'm yeah. sitting there and, you know, someone's got their hands on the hip and the other on the chin, and I find I'm mirroring that reaction yeah. and subconsciously just to fit in with them. 
and I sometimes it's even conscious you're sort of so aware yeah. and you just really want them to accept you so you meet them at their level use their language their body language exactly. you'll know what mold to fit to pass to be accepted by them but the problem is is that I feel like it's common for us to feel like we don't know who we truly are because we spend all our time trying to please others and trying to be what others want us to be and expect us to be that we sort of lose who we are exactly yeah and I feel I feel I'm way too much of a people pleaser instead of focus on I wish I was stronger to say no this is what I want to do with this time because I need to achieve this instead of doing everything for everybody else I still am learning that lesson I don't think it's a strength thing. I think it's a it's a survival tactic, really, because you found, like me, over your life that anytime you have expressed your needs or set your own boundaries, they've been rejected and exactly. denied by others. It's safety for us. But on the other flip of the coin there, being a chameleon, I really think is a gift in a way, but also it, I think it makes you a better communicator yeah. because you can also then relate and get down to the level of any age group with any backgrounds and, and put yourself in their shoes and not many people have got the ability to do that and you know like mirror back what they're saying use their language use their body language I, I just think it can also be a gift yeah that's fair that's interesting I think you're right in a way because and I also think that's showing you know how empathetic you are and how you care deeply for how others experience the world and and that's you know uh, myth busted because a lot of people think that autistic people don't have empathy but actually I think it's quite the opposite especially for women is that we're so empathetic that sometimes it really really affects us we can kind of experience the feelings of others and we we don't know how to switch off to that I think we we experience Experience their emotions a lot stronger than other people like their pain they're in yeah. and their fear their yeah. empathy it sometimes bowls us over because of what we're sensing from other people yeah exactly that's spot on and that can be really draining and we've got to protect ourselves because you can't go out into the world and just be switched off to everyone you sort of you're sensing everything at once and it, it can be really overwhelming and sometimes you're not even that aware of it at the time but it can be exhausting from a patient dying and you can't help but crying your eyes out with the family yeah. to feeling their pain and crying and uh, it's just yeah it's it's very it can be draining yeah, hard. I think it makes you a better nurse as well. Like I think I've personally always loved the nurses that could showed me that they felt empathy for me and didn't just sort of see me suffering. And, and dismiss any of your feelings. Yeah, fear. exactly. Yeah. I mean, they didn't necessarily have to know exactly what I was feeling, but just to let it let my feelings exist and validate them through that compassion lens is just, I think it's so important in the caring profession. It is. It is. Yeah. Okay, so we've barely done all the questions of the attitude test for the ADHD. I think we might call it a day and maybe we can get you back on the show to do the autistic test soon, hey? That would be wonderful. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what, what listeners want. I'm keen to go through it. And I think obviously we've talked about so many more things than just what the questions asked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully you find them helpful. And and again, I reiterate that this is our experience and you know we don't want to invalidate anyone or upset anyone and we don't speak for the whole community. And you know I'm not a medical professional, but mum is, but she's not a medical professional in this field. So go see a doctor. No, 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 I agree. And we're just to, doing it from our own personal experience and talking as a yeah. mother and daughter yeah. that are two and a half thousand kilometres apart. 
Yeah, we are. And also, I remember when I was first diagnosed and telling you about this stuff is the things that helped you and I most was hearing the stories of other autistic and ADHD women and truly being able to identify with that because the diagnostic criteria is one, highly deficit based and two, very much uh, focused on a, a male presentation of both of those conditions. And so, I mean, my my goal in putting our story out there is just to make people feel feel seen and you know maybe you relate to some of what we've experienced and uh, maybe you don't but hopefully it just gives you a bit of a better picture of what it is like to be an autistic ADHD -er. yeah yeah that was really enjoyable and yeah thank you very for including me and um, best wishes for all your listeners and hopefully I'm back on in the future oh we would I would definitely love to have you mum and I could talk all day thank you for being on the show mum. thank you Annie it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm so proud to be your mum oh I love you <laughs> that's so sweet I think you did very well for your first podcast interview oh thank you darling well that's it Another episode done and dusted. I hope you enjoyed this very raw, authentic chat between mother and daughter. And let me know if you want me to get her back to do some more. Once again, we didn't have time for a listener question, which seems to be a trend. So I'm thinking about doing a mini episode each week just with a listener question. If you're interested in that, let us know on the socials and we'll see what we can do. Uh, If you haven't noticed, I've got a slight cold and a sniffly nose. (laughs) Please forgive. And our next episode is talking to a wonderful neurodivergent woman who is a principal neurodiversity consultant. And we'll be talking all about employment, recruitment, leadership, and more. So stay tuned. Over and out.